So I know that Sandy Archer mentioned the basketball game tonight, but how about those who's, huh? What a game that was. And uh, it's just exciting to see things like that. And I've been privileged to know a good chunk of the coaching staff, many of the coaches at UVA actually, but Tony Bennett specifically is an individual that loves God with all of his heart and really desires to please him. What we're doing this morning as a church family is we're taking a look at the first of the three pillars that really make City Church who we are. We talk often about real devotion, real relationship, and real generosity. And what we're doing as a church family is we're focusing on the first of those, real devotion. We have been for several weeks. We're going to continue to do that and really as a heart thing as we move towards Easter and we're so excited about Easter Sunday morning. We'll be having two services. We're really going to be encouraging to invite family, invite friends, invite your enemies, invite whoever you want. But uh, Easter is a time of year where people are a little bit more open to being, being a part of a local church expression. So really would encourage you to do that. Now as we've been journeying together and taking a look at the issue of serving, real devotion and serving, we have learned several things. We've learned that real devotion begins with understanding that I need a savior. We talked about real devotion through prayer and through fasting that what God really cares about is my heart. We've talked about serving God with our bodies. And this morning is really the second part of real devotion through serving where I'm going to kind of share from my heart some things about City Church and some things about the needs that we have around our church family that I would encourage you to participate with. You'll notice in the kind of the fold-up that you were handed as you came through the door that today we're going to be having a serving expo. We had it last Sunday. We'll have it at the conclusion of service today as well. And that provides you an opportunity to exit this this auditorium to go into the foyer, different ministry leaders. We're going to be at different booths that are out there in the foyer. You'll have an opportunity to connect with people and ask questions. We've highlighted some specific realities on the back of this card where we're really encouraging people to prayerfully consider serving. Now, as we talk about serving, I want to recap very briefly from last week And then we're going to take a look at the first century church and the expression of that first church is many of them had personally known Jesus and had literally walked with him and what that looked like as far as serving in that very first church. But what we learned last week was this, is that Jesus, the one whom we're called to follow, has a quote that can be quite unsettling. And it's found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, where Jesus says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to tell you at the outset that there is a version of Christianity that looks very unlike the Gospels. It looks very unlike the Newer Testament. There's a version of Christianity that is involved in in the American or maybe in the West that basically says Jesus came into this world to make your life awesome and to make you your best self. That's contradictory to Scripture. Jesus came into this world to be the focus of our faith. God calls us to be like his son, Jesus. And so what I discover very quickly as I read the Newer Testament, believe me, people did not crucify Jesus because he said, I came to make you your best self. It's not why they killed him. They killed him because his life and his teaching was so countercultural that people realized if this thing got traction, we've got a problem. Unwittingly, though, they killed him And it's almost unthinkable, but that was part of God's plan. And many of those individuals that took out Jesus actually began to follow him after his death and burial and resurrection. We're going to take a look at some of those people 
in just a few moments through the book of Acts. But the another thing that we learned last week was not only did Jesus, the one whom we're following, not only did he come into the world to serve and not to be served, but we also took a look at the idea that for many of us were very gifted people. Last week, I simply brought a challenge to us. Some of us that are sitting here are people that really need to begin to ask the question, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Let me give you the context that I shared last week. You're sitting here and you have a gifted mind. Some of you sitting here have the ability for making money. Some of you sitting here wish you had the gift for making money. Some of you sitting here have an incredible gift for public speaking. Some of you sitting here have incredible academic strengths. Some of you here just have the most winsome personality ever. Some of you here have a strong physical body. Some of you here have athletic skills. Some of you here have technical skills. Some of you here are systems thinkers. Some of you here can see the hurts of others. But almost all of us sitting here would readily admit that we are a group of people who through God's blessing have experienced unique and blessed opportunities. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we recognize these things, the question needs to be, why Jesus? Why? Why do I have all that I have? Why have I been blessed with these strengths and these abilities? Why? Well, I will promise you, God has not just given you these things for yourself. God has given them, yes, to bless you. But he's also given them to you so that his kingdom can expand through you as you serve through those areas of strength and those areas of giving. Our conclusion last week as far as serving was concerned was this, that the Christian life is about the following. It's about follow Jesus and serve others. The Christian life can be simply wrapped up, follow Jesus and serve others. That's why at City Church, you're going to hear more and more about the mission of City Church being a church where we are calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. Now this morning, as I've already warned you, I'm going to share quite a bit from my heart, but we're also going to take a look in Scripture at an incredible update on the first century church. And that update is found in Acts chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. So Acts chapter 6, begin reading in verse 1. You could utilize your smartphone or utilize the Bibles that we provide, and you'll find these scriptures on page 887, page 887. Now, before we read from the book of Acts, I want to give us some context. The reason why I would like to give us context is I know that there are people sitting here, you've never read the Bible. There are some of you that are sitting here, they're just checking out faith. And I remember when I was sitting where you're seated now. I came from an unchurched family. We never went to church and my mother had an incredible faith experience as her marriage was on rocky soil and my oldest brother had gone through several near-death experiences because of an infection in the bone marrow in his leg. And through that, my mom began to check out faith. She had grown up in Yorkshire, in England, had never been to church, and the whole church thing was new to her and it was new to us. But I can remember sitting in church like you are if you're someone who's checking out faith and Checking out Jesus, I could remember the pastor would get up and just begin to read. Even though I was younger, I wanted to raise my hand and say, what are you reading from? Give me some context so that I can follow you. And everyone around me was just nodding with the pastor, and I had no clue what the guy was talking about. None whatsoever. And so as we're going to talk about real devotion with serving... I want to just kind of set the stage for us as we're getting ready to read in Acts chapter 6. 
You see, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are about the life of Jesus. If you're checking out Christ, I'd encourage you to read the book of John. There's something about the book of John that really strikes a chord with us. Because more more kind of the, the centerpiece of the book of John isn't so much about what Jesus did. It's about who he is. But you've got these four Gospels, and they tell us about the life of Jesus. The next reality that hits is what's called the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us what did it look like for people who had said yes to Jesus to live out their faith. So when we read the book of Acts we discover the first century church, the very first church, and what it looked like as they came out of the starting gate, as Jesus is now dead, buried, and resurrected, he's ascended to heaven. What does it look like for the first century church? If you were to read the Bible, this might kind of help you, but you can kind of mentally look at the story of God found in the scripture as a five-act play. It begins with creation, And then it goes into the fall where sin enters the human race. So it begins with creation. Things are as it should have been. Then you have the fall. After the fall, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And through that covenant, you have what's called Israel. By the way, the idea of creation and fall happened in the first three chapters of the Bible. So two acts of the play are already done and you're three chapters in. Then there's Israel. But following Israel, the next act of the play is Jesus. And then that fifth act is the church. Guess which one we are a part of? Any guesses? The church. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to take a look in the book of Acts and we're going to discover the first century church and what it was like as they were following Jesus. Now, I'm going to read one of the updates that happens prior to chapter 6. What you'll find in the book of Acts is some incredible things happen. And then we get an update concerning the church. And in the first update, I just want you to read or listen to me as I read out loud Acts 2.42. Here's the first update. Here's what the scriptures tell us. It says... Meaning the first century church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and a little bit following, is that the first century church is being blessed by God. People are generous. They're giving financially. The church is growing. Great stuff is happening. And there's a sense of incredible momentum, but the church is growing rapidly. In chapters 4 and 5, there's two other little updates. We're not going to read those. But now we're going to pick up the update that I'd like us to focus on together. So in Acts chapter 6, we have another update about the first century church. And here's how it reads, Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, the choosing of the seven. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the church is growing, God is blessing. And I believe that a healthy church is a church that grows. I believe that. But in the midst of their growth, there's a struggle that arises. And here's the struggle. It's the first conflict in the first century church. Here's what it says. The Hellenistic Jews, it says the number of disciples was increasing and the Hellenistic Jews among them 
complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered together, or gathered all the disciples together and said, so the twelve are the apostles. So the twelve apostles gather the disciples together, and here's what they say. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, also Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what we have is a story in the first century church that involves serving. And in this episode, in this reality for the first century church, the serving has to do with widows. So what we come up with is serving widows. Now again, I mentioned this morning, I'm going to share just some things from my heart about serving. What we discover here in the book of Acts chapter 6 is that the church is growing but it also has growing pains. How many of you remember when you had growing pains? Do you remember those? Listen, churches have them as well. What we discover is, is that as this church is growing, there are some who are complaining because a specific type of Jew, a Hellenistic Jew or a Hellenistic widow, is not getting what we've just read, the food that they're supposed to get, whereas the Hebrew Jews or the Hebraic Jews are the ones that are being fed. So what you have is you have complaining and you have overlooking. Now, there have been people that have approached me and said, city church is too big. Now, I want to tell you that the first century church started out with 3,000 people the day it was born. 3,000, right out of the gate. Man, you talk about that. The day of Pentecost happens, that's when the church is born. Jesus is dead, buried, and resurrected. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter gets up front, he delivers a sermon, and 3,000 people go, I'm in. By the way, that's just men. There were women and kids. I mean, you're talking about absolute chaos. But God's moving. God's doing great things. Church studies have showed that once a church grows past 58 people, you cannot know everyone in the church. So if you're looking for a church that's not too big, as soon as the church hits 59, you should exit and go somewhere else. Studies have shown this. But what we have here is the church is growing. It's dynamic. God is touching people through the ministry of teaching and through worship and through fellowship. And the Bible tells us clearly in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, God is adding daily to those who are being saved. But then there's a conflict. Listen. Because you have conflict in your life does not mean that you're not living right. Conflict is common. It's how we handle it that matters. If there are two people in a room, there's going to be conflict. It's inevitable. I love my wife dearly, but there's conflict at times. Things like, I like the light shut off, save money. She likes every light on all the time because it makes it bright and happy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
doesn't mean you don't love each other. It just means that conflict is something that happens in life. And when you have conflict, it doesn't mean God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that. What it means, though, is there's a godly way to process and to move forward. This church is growing like a weed. There's conflict. And the conflict could have become an incredible racial issue. Huge one. Here's why. The Hellenistic widows are being overlooked with the daily distribution of food. Notice with me in the footnote in all of your Bibles, if you're reading from the Bible, here's what the footnote says. When it mentions the Hellenistic widows, it says this, that is Jews who had adopted the Greek language and culture. They're still following the Jewish faith, but they speak a different language. They have embedded themselves in a different culture. And so when the church takes off in Jerusalem, it's pretty obvious that the Hebraic Jews are the ones that kind of have the control. And in that, it's apparent, according to what we're reading, that the Hellenistic widows are not getting the food that they're supposed to be getting. They're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now let me explain something to us. In the time of Jesus in Jerusalem, if you were a widow and your husband died, I guess that's what it means to be a widow, you would make a beeline for Jerusalem as soon as your husband passed away. Because once you got to Jerusalem, the command of God in the city of Zion, in the holy city, were that widows would be cared for. And it was incumbent upon the Jewish people that they would take care of widows we don't know how many there were, but there's a clear understanding that there were an overwhelming number of widows. Could have been because of the dominance of the Roman Empire killing off men. And so these Jewish women are coming to Jerusalem to go into this social welfare system that is commanded by God to Jewish people. So we have all of these widows that are in Jerusalem then you've got this tiny little thing called this Christian church that is taking off like a rocket. And as these people are in prayer and as they're looking at needs around them and who they're going to serve, they begin to serve these widows. And they have an outreach to them. But in that outreach, the Hellenistic Jews are being overlooked. These widows are being overlooked. It's a pretty amazing thing because caring for widows was huge in the first century church. Later, you can read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Apostle Paul actually writes a whole chapter to Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, how to discern which widows are to be taken care of and how they're to be taken care of. An entire chapter just on taking care of widows. But it's interesting to me. This is where the conflict comes from. Now, a little bit more background will be helpful. Your New Newer Testament, in the original language, never mentions food. It just says that there was this distribution that was happening, and the Hellenistic widows were not being taken care of. A lot of biblical scholars, since food's never even mentioned, actually believe that this is it's money that is flowing toward these widows in order to take care of them. That it's not food. Food's never mentioned. What is understood, though, is, is that there were people who were waiting on tables. Very specifically, tables were mentioned. Well, what's fascinating, in original Greek, the word for table is also what's used for Greek banks today. There's actually Greek banks that use the Greek word for table. It's the understanding of someone sitting behind a table and the money's out there on the table. And so banking and table has a very close connection. So what I believe, and a lot of biblical scholars believe, is that it wasn't the daily distribution of food. It was that people in the church had been incredibly generous. We read about this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. People are bringing money in, and the leadership of the church is now serving others financially, and they're handing out 
the finances. Another reason why I believe this is in Acts 6.3, it says that these men have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they have to be filled with wisdom. I mean, the truth be told, how much wisdom does it take to put a cheeseburger on a plate for someone? I believe, again, that these are individuals that are handling the finances and they're handling the blessing and they're serving others financially, specifically these widows. Now, what's also interesting to me is that these individuals are brought before the elders, they're prayed over, and they're commissioned to serve. Now, here are some personal thoughts that I want to share with us. What I can tell you is, is that in any church, a crisis can get you diverted from the primary purpose of the church. The primary purpose of the church is clearly denoted here. It's that the word of God would be central and that the leaders of the church are supposed to focus on prayer, study, and making the word of God understandable and making it known. These paragraphs conclude in verse 7 by saying this, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, the church has now reached a whole new level of people that they're now reaching. But as I look at this, here's what I want to explain from a lead pastor's perspective. Oftentimes, there are people that have an expectation of pastors. There's an expectation about what a pastor has to do. I can remember when I first came to City Church, there were about 100 to 125 people. The expectation was, was that the pastor would be at almost everything. That's okay when you have 100 to 120 people. But we have well north of 1,700 people that are involved with City Church currently. And what we see in the book of Acts, there was this growing explosion of what God was doing. I have the humble opinion that these pastors had been helping to make sure the money was given out properly. They were involved with that, but as the church grew that section of the church became overwhelming to them and they were neglecting the principal duties of being a pastor. And so when it got out of hand, there was a conflict. When the conflict got to the kind of the apex, these spiritual leaders recognized that they had drifted from the central purpose of their calling and they backed up and they handed that off to other people. Let me give you this example, weddings. I remember at City Church a couple of years ago, we had over 30 weddings at City Church. I love doing weddings, love doing them. But you know what I realized when I looked at 30 weddings? It was either going to be their marriage or mine. (laughs) I'm dumb, but I figured that out pretty quickly. Because when you start talking about doing 30 weddings, that's 30 weekends, Friday and Saturday. What you begin to realize, you might love doing those things as a pastor, but you can't do it all. And so what I ended up doing was backing off, and we have other ordained people at City Church that now perform weddings, and they meet with premarital couples, and we have premarital mentors that are meeting with couples, and I can remember, though, just the sadness of when that first couple got married and I wasn't the one that was blessing them on their wedding day because I love to do that. But you see, when a church grows, the expectations of others cannot drive you. The calling of God and what you're called to do must. And so when I look at City Church, we have grown. God has blessed us. But I will tell you and the staff will tell you this, the temptation is to move away from prayer and study and the core spiritual realities of our calling. And there are others that have an expectation that tries to push you in that direction. 
The other part of this too, to be honest with you, is visitation. There have been times where people have been at UVA hospital and it's just not physically possible for me to get there. I remember sharing with City Church about 10 years ago how I just simply couldn't be there for every crisis with every person. And I said, but I prayerfully will do my absolute best. I remember going up to UVA hospital to visit someone. When I came through the door, they turned gray. I went, wow, they just look really bad. They look good till they saw me. Now they look really bad. And I went over and I was sitting down with them and I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And and they looked at me and said, why are you here? I said, well, I'm your pastor and I was here visiting a couple other people and I came by to see you. And they said, that's the only reason you're here? I said, yeah, why? What are you getting? They said, I thought you came to tell me I was going to (laughs) die because you had told us that you're not going to be able to visit everyone in the hospital. And when I saw you walk through the door, I was convinced. He's here to tell me I'm going to die. That's why he came. And I assured the guy that I would let other people do that, that I promised him I would defer that. But what we clearly understand is for a church to reach its community, people need to do and act upon what God is calling them to do. That a church like City Church is a church that reaches people and does great things, but the pastoral team cannot be everywhere all the time, although I would tell you we wish we could be. And here's what we see in this context. There is a divine handoff of a baton from the pastoral team to these seven individuals that are now doing something that I have a sneaky suspicion that the lead 12 apostles loved to do. They love to sit down with these widows. They love to hand over the finances and see the looks on their faces as they were able to see these women go from downtrodden and depressed to where they would hand over the finances and see the uplift of God's supply through that church, to others who were in need. But now they're backing off, they're refocusing, and they're focusing on what God had initially called them to do. What else is amazing to me here is that a clear need in the first century church was made known. And I think there's times where as a pastor, I think it's wise for me to get up and share with you where the needs are at City Church. I want to share a couple of needs, and as I share them, maybe God will prompt you to respond. First of all, it takes 130 people to pull off what we do here every Sunday morning. There's a couple of areas of critical need. One of the areas of critical need that we have is with the towing team. Yes, we have a towing team. There's a group of men and women that gather at City Church at 6.30 in the morning and tow over four 24-foot trailers so that all of this can happen. We've had some people move. We've had some people have other life experiences where they can no longer serve on that team. So if you have a Super Duty F-250 pickup truck or bigger, God has blessed you for that for a reason. I'm going to tell you what it is. And that is that you would serve for one hour One Sunday morning a month where you could come and help tow the trailers. Other areas of need. We need for people to arrive when I arrive at about 7.30 on Sunday mornings. I'm part of a setup team. I set up the area with a group of four or five other people, K through four-year-olds through K. It's an absolute blast. Gives me the opportunity to get to know each other. So I arrive here on Sunday mornings, sometimes between 7.30 or a little bit later. I gather up with the team that I serve with and we go put that area together. But what I've recognized is, is that although my preaching might seem like the center of city church, the preaching does not happen unless people are serving in other areas as well. There's another area where I believe God wants to do something special at City Church. And it's with young couples. I believe God wants to put together a growing number of young couples that would gather together to support each other and to love each other and to fellowship with each other. 
It's not that I'm unaware of other needs that are in the church, but as I was prayerfully putting this together, there was something that struck me. And I shared it a few weeks ago with our lead team. I said, you know, I don't know why, but God keeps impressing on my heart that we need to gather young couples together and to help them and to support them in their newfound journey. So if you'd like to be a part of that, just take your newsfeed, write your name on there, write young couples and put it in the box or leave it at the welcome station as you leave. And the last thing is this. Widows. We actually have a ministry that covers that area. But what I want to explain to you is simply this. A church is not doing what God wants it to do just if we go, hey, guess what? We have the widows covered, so now we're done. Let's just please God. Let's get all the widows together. Once they're together, they're fed, they're cared for, then we're done. As a matter of fact, and this is not to lessen the issue of widowhood at all. It's not. But I would tell you in modern culture, single mothers now have taken the place of widows in the first century. You see, if you were a widow in the first century, you could not own property. You were going to be destitute. Being a widow was the bellwether of poverty in that culture. What our government tells us is that single motherhood is the number one indicator of poverty in our culture. Number one indicator. And so when I look at that, I think to myself, I understand that we reach widows, but if we actually read scripture and we allow it to speak to us, I look at the young mothers that are at City Church, those single mothers that are coming here all by themselves, and I will tell you, they are the widows that were found in the first century church. They have incredible burdens. They have unbelievable burdens. And am I a person that's pro-life? Absolutely. Am I a person that believes, biblically speaking, that abortion is wrong? Absolutely. But here's what irks me day in and day out. When people will go picket an abortion clinic, but will do nothing for the girl after she's kept the baby. That makes no sense to me at all. If we're for life, we're not just for saving life. We're for getting behind people and giving them a quality of life. That's our call. That's our call. And so if I look accurately at the biblical principles for this, it's not that you ignore widows now, but we look in our culture and we understand that it is single mothers that need us. So I'm going to put out a challenge. Do you know of a single mother? Especially those where the care of the children and the financial support is not equitable with the children's father. Please reach out to her. Get behind her. Love her. And as you do, you will so fulfill the law of Christ as you bear her burden. Now, I look at the card that we've put together of the needs of serving that we have at City Church. We've got some needs. But if you were to look at the book of Acts, you would discover there are two names in the list of seven. Two names. There's Stephen and there's Philip. Stephen and Philip. Stephen was one of the individuals that came to wait on tables. I believe, to distribute finances. The Bible tells us very clearly, right at the beginning, as he's the front end of the list, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Stephen's the first, and then there's Philip. You know what's shocking? Is that after they're listed there, the end of chapter 6 is about Stephen. He was out publicly preaching, and he was the first martyr in the first century church. Chapter 7 tells us the story about how Philip went on a missionary journey and he spread the gospel to an unknown territory and the kingdom advanced through him. Why do I share this? I share it because they started waiting on tables. They started handing out finances to widows. That's where they began serving. But it wasn't long before God used them at a much, much greater level. 
And so the challenge for you and me is that I'm a follower of Jesus. Where am I serving? How am I serving? Because I believe as a follower of Jesus, there has to be something that I can point to and say, I'm serving widows. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Does it infringe on my schedule? Yes. Does it cost me finances? Yes. But isn't that what the first century church was all about? They were about following Jesus. They were about serving others. And so your service doesn't have to be officially through City Church. It doesn't have to be through one of our ministries. But I would challenge you. I would call on you to have a ministry that in your heart of hearts you can look to and you can say, because I follow Jesus, here's the person, here's the people, here's how I'm serving. Because I have found that oftentimes in Western culture, we are great at saying that we follow Jesus, but we're not so great at taking action on what he calls us to do and to calls us to be. Can we stand together as we close in prayer? As we stand together and we close our eyes in God's presence, The church in the book of Acts had grown. There was a conflict. And yet they solved it with people serving and the church continued to grow again. My question to all of us again is are we following Jesus and serving others? What does that look like in our lives practically? As we close out our time, God may be prompting you that you are to take action. Maybe it's the first time you've ever contemplated serving. I want to encourage you that as we close out in prayer that you would seal your commitment through the Holy Spirit. Again, not everyone needs to serve through City Church. There's maybe a family or a person that God calls you to outside. I'm thrilled about that. But for others of us, maybe it's time that we serve. As I was preparing this message, I was in a communication with Pete Ulett, the campus pastor of Chi Alpha. And he just put a little side note in an email and he said, Pete, why don't you challenge the college students to serve in the nursery? Because there's mothers here that are exhausted. And it takes everything they can just to get their kids to church. But what a blessing it is for them to be able to come in here and sit and rest. And have others take care of their children. I would tell you that I believe that a mother with three little babies around her ankles is in one of the toughest stages of life. I remember my wife when we were at that stage. Couldn't believe she survived it. If they'd have been left with me, I know my kids wouldn't have survived it. But Pete said, why not challenge the college students to serve in the nursery where there's a little bit more energy and freedom? Our kids' ministry needs people to serve. What's incredible is that over 70% of the families that use our children's ministry serve. Over 130 parents serve faithfully that have children in our kids' ministry. It's awesome. But maybe like the college students, maybe there's something that you could be challenged with to serve. I know the hour is late and we're going to close out with prayer. But as we do, will you open your heart to God? Say, God, what does this look like for me in real devotion? I'm a follower of Jesus who's been commissioned by him to serve in a tangible, specific way. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for how your son came into this world and emphatically stated that he did not come into this world to be served, but to serve. 
And so, Jesus, we commit to being like you, that as followers of you, we will go through the reality of serving and doing so effectively and practically and with all that we are. Jesus, I pray that this would be a church of people who are called to serve, not just inside City Church, but wherever we are found, I pray that we would be a group of people who are not entitled, but a people that are filled with servant hearts. Jesus, if some of us have lost our focus, I pray that you would bring us back to that original calling. Lord, allow each and every one of us to be a group of people through which the gospel advances as we serve. Jesus, thank you so much for City Church. Thank you for the awesome, awesome people who make this church what it is. But God, we're praying that as much as you did in the book of Acts, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that we wouldn't do what we do out of human strength and human strength alone the power of the Holy Spirit of God would be with us, empowering us to be what you're calling us to be. God, I believe this. I pray for it now in Christ's name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take just a moment to worship together, and I'll come back to pray a blessing over us. bless you and may the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace. God bless you. We're going to continue in worship. When you're fulfilled in your worship, you may be exiting quietly. God bless you. We'll see you soon.
just to tremble at the light that you bring in when you walk into every heart starts burning and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you Dead people.